This is K.M. Wyland, and you're listening to the 430th episode of the Helping Writers Become Authors podcast. I had a bit of an interrupted week this week. Where I live is usually a, in a perpetual drought, only a few annual inches away from being a desert, actually. So when we got six inches of rain in 24 hours last week, the whole place's system just kind of went into shock. And the result was that my basement office blood. Thankfully, the damage wasn't bad. It was wet enough to soak the back of the carpet, but not much more. Still, it meant dispossessing my writing zone for a couple days, moving all the furniture, pulling up the carpet, and collecting every fan in the house. I'm super thankful it wasn't worse and that it dried up as easily and quickly as it did, but I'm totally a creature of habit and it was downright hard trying to keep my regular writing and editing routine going, especially since I couldn't get to my desktop computer and hadn't updated most of my files on my laptop for quite some time. So that was my slightly writing-related adventure of the week. And now I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast, The Do's and Don'ts of Storytelling According to Marvel, Part 19, Four Ways to Write a Better Antagonist. I have to believe Thanos would be a good writer. Why? Because he totally understands one of the most important principles of story theory. Pretty, isn't it? Perfectly balanced, as all things should be. Too much to one side or the other, and it doesn't work. Nowhere is this more critical than in the foundational balance of protagonist against antagonist. This partnership creates plot, creates theme, creates conflict, creates balance. We might even go so far as to argue that the antagonist is the story. After all, without the antagonist, what is the protagonist? Just a happy dude in a happy world doing happy stuff. Makes for a good retirement center commercial maybe, but it ain't a story. The definition of story in a word is change. If we hark back to middle school parts of speech, the protagonist is just the direct object. She's the one being acted upon. The antagonist though, the antagonist is the verb. The antagonist is the agent of change, the hammer to the protagonist's stone. To write a fully formed story form, one that is perfectly balanced, your vision for that story must include a fully realized antagonistic force that has been specifically crafted to oppose, challenge, and change your protagonist at every juncture. Now, it's hard to believe, but here we are in part 19 of our ongoing series, The Do's and Don'ts of Storytelling According to Marvel. Like so many of you, I have been eagerly awaiting the beginning of the end of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as we know it anyway. For a while now, I've been experiencing a bit of malaise regarding the quality of stories we're seeing come out of mainstream Hollywood. So it was fun just to be genuinely excited about a new movie for a change. I went into the theater knowing the challenges the movie faced, and I left feeling like the crew at Marvel had made the best possible movie they could have made under those limitations. Is it a hot mess? Oh yeah. But it is also, for my money, a satisfactory payoff of everything so far in the series, as well as, and most importantly, being a grand setup for the final chapter. It's entertaining at every step, it carries its length well, it handles its monster-sized cast with as much finesse as was possible, it's full of consequences, some of which will undoubtedly be overturned, but others that won't, and it is the perfect stage for, finally, providing an antagonist strong enough and well-realized enough to counterbalance 
so dowdy a protagonistic crew as the Avengers. Is it a perfect movie? Absolutely not. For my money, it's not even close to being the best entry in the series, and probably not even the best Avengers movie, but it is a fun ride that respectfully and skillfully opens up the third and final act of our 10-year adventure. So, a few of my favorites. Honestly, I think my favorite moment in the entire movie was Peter Quill's utter insecurity in the presence of the Mighty Thor. I loved pretty much all the groupings, which made for maximum characterizing. Uh, Thor and the Guardians, Tony, Peter, and Doctor Strange, Tony and the Guardians, and Cap and the Wakandans. Loved the Hulk refusing to fight after getting trashed by Thanos in the opening. And, of course, the snap. Not-so-favorite things included. Not enough Cap. I read somewhere he got only six minutes of screen time, and his section does seem dramatically underserved. Although I also read that they'll be making up for this in the sequel. And giant Peter Dinklage just totally didn't work for me. One of the common complaints about the MCU is that they rarely realize their antagonists. This is so for two reasons. Reason number one, the antagonist is rarely a direct influence upon the protagonist's personal journey. In other words, with a few exceptions, most notably Iron Man, all of Cap's movies, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, the external and internal conflicts are inherent to one another. This means the climactic third act confrontation between antagonist and protagonist often feels somewhat ancillary to the larger story. And reason number two, the antagonist doesn't get much screen time. This is usually a direct result of the outer antagonist's supplementary role to the protagonist's inner conflict. The further result is that the antagonist isn't given much opportunity for development. This is why Loki is so awesome. He's totally a character in his own right. Over the course of the series, he's been given nearly as much screen time as many of the main Avengers. He's not just a token villain or a plot device. He's a presence in his own right. While Thanos might not be the single best antagonist in the Marvel Universe, he is unquestionably one of the best realized. Even though he has been present very little in previous movies, his presence has loomed large. By the time we get to Infinity War, we already feel like we know him. And then Infinity War itself does an extremely smart job of paying off all its foreshadowing by evolving Thanos beyond the villainous plot device to a character in his own right. I'm happy that in Infinity War, they have essentially given Thanos his own movie. It provides profound weight to his presence within the MCU and makes his threat to the Avengers much more formidable for the sequel. So today, in Thanos' honor, let's take a look at four ways Marvel turned Thanos into one of their best antagonists and how you can learn from them to up your own antagonistic game. Tip number one, put the antagonist in charge of the plot. This one is totally counterintuitive. Isn't the story supposed to be about the protagonist? Isn't the protagonist supposed to be active rather than passive? Isn't the protagonist supposed to be cooler, stronger, and ultimately more powerful than the antagonist? The problem with that line of thinking is that all of these are trick questions. Their collectively affirmative answer isn't necessarily a wrong one, but it is misleading. If you're gonna tell a convincing story of change, then the antagonist must play the dual role of forcing that change and providing a yardstick of sorts against which to measure the protagonist. Now, there are two different ways you can create this dynamic within your story. Number one, give your antagonist a head start toward the goal. 
To one degree or another, in almost all stories, the protagonist is not the one who initiates the larger conflict. Rather, the protagonist joins the conflict in the second act. In order for there to be a conflict to be joined, something or someone else must be causing it. That's where your antagonist comes in. Whether your antagonist is a person, an oppressive system, or even the protagonist's own inner problems, this opposing force is something your protagonist reacts against. It may be the protagonist recognizes the inherent destruction in the antagonist's goal and forms his own goal of opposing the antagonist. Or it may be the protagonist forms his own goal, independent of the antagonist, only to discover their two goals oppose one another, creating conflict. Either way, antagonistic forces that contribute cohesively to the entire story form are almost always those that control the conflict from the outside. It is the protagonist who must rise to meet them, not the other way around. Number two, make your antagonist inherently stronger. By extension, if you want to create gripping and realistic stakes within your story, the antagonist needs to be formidable. He needs to be someone the protagonist can't defeat at the outset. He needs to be someone who makes not just the protagonist doubt his own abilities, but the audience as well. After all, if the protagonist is more powerful than the antagonist from the start, why is it taking a whole story for the conflict to reach its obvious ending? So how does Thanos take charge? There are several nuances to Thanos's formidability. Number one is foreshadowing and buildup. Thanos has the advantage of great press coverage. We've been anticipating this dude since almost the beginning of the series. He's been teased over and over. The Avengers are duly freaked out about him. Some of them have even spent time on screen trying futilely to hunt him down or oppose him. Before he even sets foot on the main stage, audiences are already primed to understand this guy is a big deal. Number two, characteristic moment. When Thanos finally does step up to the camera, he is given a powerfully demonstrative take no prisoners characteristic moment. When he trashes Hulk in his first scene, he proves instantly and inarguably that he can take on the strongest of the Avengers without breaking a sweat. Number three, long-standing goal. Thanos was pursuing his goal of balancing the universe long before he ever registered on the Avengers radar. In other words, he's way ahead of the game. At the beginning of the story, he's already well into action, which leaves them no other choice but to react. His offense is truly his best defense. They can't take it to him. They can only take it from him. This will, of course, evolve in the next movie as they regroup and form active goals of their own in an attempt to reverse Thanos' victory. But as with all solid story forms, they start out in a reactive mode, which is not to be confused with passivity, as they're scrambling to figure out why their old methods for living are no longer successful. And number four, personal strength and resources. Thanos himself is an impressive personage. As a titan, he is more physically powerful than any one of the Avengers. After half a dozen of them throw everything they've got at him, Thanos wryly points out, all that for a drop of blood? But if that weren't enough, Thanos' basic goal is one that will only enhance his power within the conflict. Everyone in the story understands that however formidable Thanos is without the stones, he will become unstoppable with them. Hence, 
the stakes. Tip number two, give the antagonist objectively good qualities, even virtues. Good characters are rounded. They're real human beings. They're neither black nor white, they're gray. Good guys have bad qualities, bad guys have good qualities. Although we all love a good bad guy we can love to hate, the best antagonists are those who are compelling characters in their own right. They need to have motives just as primal and vulnerable as the protagonists. They need to have convincing moral justifications for their actions. They need to demonstrate the same basic needs and desires that we all have to pursue meaning and purpose in their lives, to experience emotional connection with the people they care about, to improve themselves as individuals, and to expiate their sins. To this end, it's important to realize that antagonist and villain are not always synonymous. The antagonist is an integral part of the story form as an opposing force to the protagonist. In itself, the role demands no specific moral alignment. In fact, it is entirely possible for an antagonist to be the most righteous person in a story. But even if they are not morally good, it's still important to balance their negative attributes with convincing positive aspects. Bad guys who are charming or even kind are all the more interesting. Bad guys who are conflicted evoke our empathy. Bad guys who are funny or outrageous can make us like them in spite of ourselves. In short, bad guys should be reasonably aware of how the world sees them, as well as how they want to be seen. When word first trickled down the grapevine that Josh Brolin had been cast as Marvel's arch-villain, my initial reaction was, what? With that all-American jaw and that Pa Walton voice, he wasn't exactly the scenery-chewing, death-wielding, baby-eating monster Thanos was supposed to be. In short, he initially seemed like a weak choice, but now it all makes sense. The sincerity and even uprightness Roland's performance brings to the role is one of the things that lifts Thanos beyond the single dimension of pure evil to a nuanced and compelling exploration of humanity. He demonstrates many excellent qualities. His henchman wasn't lying when he said no other being has ever had the might, nay the nobility, to wield not one, but two infinity stones. As an antagonist, Thanos surprises us with his many good qualities, including his patience, his dignity, his compassion, and the quote-unquote philanthropic motives behind so evil a mission as wiping out half the universe. Is he still bad? Still scary? Still the worst thing the Avengers will ever face? Yeah, but it's the balance brought to his character by his good traits that turn him into someone memorable. Tip number three. Create someone who loves the antagonist. This is a trick that is too often overlooked. Many authors understand the antagonist should have some good qualities to keep him from becoming a snidely whiplash stereotype. Often we try to accomplish this by giving the antagonist someone to love. That is a dog to pet. If they're trying to enact their evil plan so they can save their little daughter from leukemia, then we're giving him a sympathetic side, right? Absolutely but don't stop there. Even more powerful than giving the antagonist someone to love is creating someone who loves the antagonist. Creating an antagonist who loves someone else 
isn't so surprising or even endearing. Anybody can love. It's the most natural of human instincts. But if someone else sees something worth loving within this potentially despicable person, then that can force readers into also viewing the antagonist through this surprisingly sympathetic lens. This was done to great effect in Daredevil, another Marvel production, in which we see a woman fall genuinely in love with the antagonist, Wilson Fisk. It causes us to view him in an entirely different light than if she had failed to find anything lovable in him. Thanos' relationship with his adopted daughter Gamora is the emotional heart of the story. She is the only one among the Avengers, because technically she is an Avenger now, yeah, who has a personal relationship with the antagonist. She hates him, but she also loves him in spite of herself. One of the best scenes in the film, for many reasons, is the scene in which she believes she has killed Thanos and weeps over his body. Thanos then reveals the entire moment was an illusion. He is obviously touched by her grief, however conflicted it may be. He says, is it sadness I sense in you, daughter? In my heart, I knew you still cared. In flashbacks, we see Thanos' genuine kindness to a young Gamora juxtaposed against his ruthless brutality in slaughtering half her people, including her family. We understand the anguish Gamora suffers in being able to recognize both Thanos' best and worst features and loving and hating them in turn. More than that, we see Thanos' love for her. It softens and rounds him and makes him all the more horrifying when he doesn't hesitate to hurt and manipulate her before finally choosing to sacrifice her in spite of his great love for her. And tip number four, Link, the antagonist and the protagonist. The antagonist powers the external part of the conflict. The protagonist powers the internal thematic conflict. For a story to be both cohesive and resonant, the two must be linked. They must each affect the other in equal measure. The easiest way of accomplishing this is by making sure the antagonist and protagonist are linked in some way. As mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, this has been one of the biggest pitfalls for Marvel villains so far. If the protagonist's presence in the conflict is not driven by his internal arc, and if the external conflict is not ultimately decided in conjunction with the internal arc, then something's amiss. At some level, overcoming the external antagonist must be either a metaphor for or a direct application of the protagonist's culminating inner journey. If not, it's likely because the two conflicts aren't joined at their heart. This is just as true in stories that are not heavily thematic or focused on character change, because in these stories, the protag-antag battle is literally all there is. In these stories, the relationship between the characters and the reasons for their conflict against one another must be absolutely clear, and the more personal, the better. In all fairness, Thanos actually had this one much easier than most of his villainous predecessors. Because he's been teased almost from the beginning of the series, and because the Avengers have been preparing defenses against him for almost as long, there is an established link long before Infinity War even starts. Thanos is committed to wiping out half the universe. The Avengers are committed to protecting that same universe. They are linked before they ever meet. 
In essence, the inciting event of their conflict has already taken place long since. They're already aware of the conflict. Pretty much the entirety of this story is their second act. Add to that Gamora's direct connection to Thanos and thus her direct and personal responsibility to stop him, and you get a strong enough link between antagonist and protagonist to carry the story. When a strong protagonist and a strong antagonist meet for a dance of death, whether literal or metaphorical, what you'll end up with is a perfectly balanced story form that aces cohesion, resonance, and effectiveness. Thank you for listening to the Wordplay Podcast. To read a transcript of this episode, you can visit my website at helpingwritersbecomeauthors.com. And be sure to check back again next week.